This is your Friday edition of Hitting Season, a Philadelphia Phillies podcast. And what a hitting season it finally is. A hitting preseason, I suppose you'd call it. My name is Justin Clue. I write for Baseball Prospectus and Billy Penn. With me is Liz Rocher of Yahoo Sports. Hello, Liz. Hello, Justin. What a week of topics coming out of the woodwork. It fi- finally feels like the winter sun has set and the better, brighter sun of spring has risen over what were once empty Florida baseball concepts, uh, co- sorry, complexes, covered in what I imagine are seagulls and, what do you think, possums, probably. Yeah. There's just the wildlife that fills these, these buildings before the players get there in the spring. Pitchers and catchers and Charlie Manuel have all reported to Clearwater uh, just today, we are told that Trey Turner has arrived. Philly's bench players have arrived. Scott Kingery has arrived. Liz? Scott Ooh. Kingery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've heard of him. I want to see what happens there. Just yeah. Kind of curious to see how that loop closes. Uh, so let's get started talking about what everybody's dying to talk about. Five more years of Rob Manfred being the uh, commissioner of Major League Baseball. <laughs> Your favorite guy and mine, MLB uh-huh. Commissioner Rob Manfred, held a press conference yesterday and announced that the owners have re-upped on his contract until 2029. But these next five years will be the last five years. Of his time as commissioner. (gasps) With the end of the Rob Manfred era on its way, he packed a lot into this session, including his thoughts on the new Nike-designed, Fanatics-manufactured MLB uniforms, which we will get to in a minute. Don't you worry, (laughs) you pretty little head. Uh, How uh, He also talked about how Manfred talked about how he and the owners would prefer to, quote, have a free agency signing period, ideally in December, with a deadline which, you know, is pretty easy to see working in, surprise, the owner's favor. And he also talked about what baseball fans in Oakland are supposed to do now that uh, Manfred has gone ahead and uh, kind of gone against the statement he made in 2019 about keeping a team in Oakland and, in fact, allowed the team in Oakland to leave Oakland. Uh, He told A's fans looking for Major League Baseball in the years to come, well, just hop on a BART train and go be Giants fans, saying, quote, First of all, we do have a major league team in the Bay Area. It's not like there isn't an option available. Oh, the God. Giant... That's so offensive. Oh, did you not Did you not see this? I yeah, did no. not see this. That this is, is offensive. This is oh fantastic stuff. This is a new Manfred milestone. I loved it. Uh, yeah, he said, it's not like there's not an available option. The Giants obviously still play there. I like that because it makes it sound like he's like, yeah, that's right. I know where the teams play in the league. You thought I didn't like baseball? <laughs> Guess what? San Francisco, that's the Giants. I memorized my I know that they're cards. there. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of the other side of the bay, he went on, the Oakland side of the bay, our community involvement in terms of youth programming, all of the things we do in Major League communities will continue. I 
raise an eyebrow at that notion. And I think it's a sign of our commitment to the community that we will continue that kind of programming. And as I said, most important, there is a fan opportunity that's not so far away. <laughs> there you go, A's fans. Just become Giants fans. Problem solved. Imagine if the Phillies left Philadelphia and Rob Manfred was like, what's your problem? Just be Mets fans. Or just be <laughs> Pirates fans. <laughs> The man is out of touch. He, he always I, has that's, been. That, that is a, that is an, you know, there have been moments where people are just like, you know, Rob Manfred does like baseball, you know. And I'm like, of course, I know he does, but he does a terrible job showing it. But then there are moments like this where it's like he does not understand the human experience of being a fan of anything. He doesn't. Anything that is regionally based, school-based even. Like, be just being a fan of something like that. Like, you're, you can't just, you can't just go and do that. You can't, it's like, <laughs> there, just go some... and be a fan of another team. Just do that. I mean, what's wrong with you? Just do it. What's taking it's you like, so long? Haven't you like done wait, it yet? Go. It's like waiting for a bus, which if Rob Manfred is listening, a bus is like a long <laughs> group car. Uh, Uber's like working on it. Don't worry. Waiting for a bus and a bus finally arrives, but it's not the one you want. And it's not even going where you were trying to go, but it's a bus. So get on it. <laughs> That's what you were waiting for. Get on it. Go. What's the problem? Uh, again, like I said, man's out of touch. Always has been. He will leave his office probably more out of touch than he was when he started. Again, we all know his job is to keep the owners happy not the fans. So he operates baseball based on bottom lines and trying to stay in the black. But when he has to say things like this, or do things like give the Astros immunity for their cheating scandal, calling the World Series trophy a piece of metal, saying his favorite part of a team winning the World Series is handing that trophy over to a lucky owner, and <sighs> acting like fandom just means glomming on to the next closest MLB franchise when yours up and leaves town. He's just telling everyone, I don't care enough about this to understand it even a little bit on a, on a fan level, you know, outside of the business side. It is objectively humorous to me to see what this bland boardroom lawyer thinks baseball fans are like. I, I'm sure you're right, but does Rob Manfred like baseball? Sure, as much as you like anything that doesn't, like, offend you. But end of the day, he took a job. He took a job and it involves baseball. I don't think, yeah, it's not unfair to say the guy doesn't like baseball. Not understanding it, not bothering to understand it, you could say means he doesn't like it, but again, that's not his job. His job isn't to be liked. His job isn't to make it better for you, the fans. It's to keep making the owners money in however ways they see fit. And that's generally that's generally how he's approached. No, not generally. That's entirely how he's <laughs> approached it the entire time he's been commissioner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think of this somewhat. And I was thinking about, well, I wonder who's going to be next. Maybe they'll be different. And the answer to that is, <laughs> is maybe like. I think Bud Selig, the difference with him is that he was an owner and he really loved baseball. You don't own a team without without at least having an affinity for the sport. That That is at least, I figure, that's a baseline. But, you know, he, Rob Manfred has been in this business for a long time. Whatever team he grew up loving, you you're, it's like when you've, one of my colleagues, Frank Schwab, he 
was a, I, I believe, a Packers fan for a long time. But he's been in football, you know, sports writing. And for such a long time, he just doesn't have uh, a team affinity anymore. He just sort of watches the whole game. Now, he actually likes it. And that's the difference that Rob Manford doesn't seem like he like he cares too much of it outside of these sponsorship opportunities. But I feel like anybody that they get who's been like an MLB lifer is going to have that. You know, they've been in baseball overall for so long that it the whole thing is just of a part. You can no longer separate it by a team. I think the best thing that will come out of Rob Manfred's time, and we'll save this for another episode when we're, you know, five years from now when we're still doing this. Um, (laughs) Let's not think about it. (laughs) Another time uh, in the home stretch of Rob Manfred's career as MLB commissioner. Um, But I just want to say, I think right now sitting here, the best thing to come out of his time as commissioner are these sound bites where (laughs) he has given a speech or a press conference of some kind. And, and he's had to he's been like, I'm a human. I'm a human being. Look, like I, I, I have to drink water and eat food. I have these arms. I know how to like, walk. I'm a human being as well, and I'm definitely convincing you of that fact. And they're like, I don't think so, man. This, <laughs> this, this has got rogue AI written all <laughs> over it. But in any case, uh, as I mentioned, one of the other things that Rob Manfred talks about is the jerseys, <laughs> which have become a huge issue in spring training already. Players showed up to training camp and found the new jerseys uh, designed by Nike and manufactured by Fanatics um, hanging in their lockers. And immediately commentary started, first of all, from people far away, you know, fans on social media, just looking at them and being like, well, they look. Those are ugly. Those, those look, look wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's Those look right. like knockoffs. And the players kind of confirmed that. Um, <laughs> starting with Miles Mikolash of the Cardinals, was he called them cheap. Uh, other players have had other disparaging things to say about them. The only positive comments that have come out about these jerseys have been from like, I, I think it was, what, like Jason Hayward, I think, at one point? Um, Nolan Arenado, Adley Rushman, Ronald Acuna. These are all, like, strategically placed players who I believe were, like, reading off of cue cards or something. So, wow, these new jerseys sure oh, allow for more statement. movement. It was in the yeah. statement they released, and there are these quotes. I'm just like, these were written by <laughs> PR people and shown to them so they could just yeah. do a thumbs up or a check mark or whatever it is. They could say they got the approval. There's no way. That they said or care. Oh, here's one quote from uh, a veteran position player on the Orioles. Mm. I think that the performance more might feel nice, but the look of it is like a knockoff jersey from TJ Maxx. <laughs> and that's, I think the players got more and more brazen in their critiques. Oh, yeah. Once they, once a few people had, you know, had, had the cojones to, to say something to the media, everyone let loose. They're like, oh, 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 this is what we're doing. And then yes. uh, some of them went to the the Players Association as well because they're so concerned about how they yeah. feel and how they look. I'm like, yes, they should be. Oh yeah, this is a this is a massive screw up by Fanatics mm-hmm. and and Michael Rubin, um, the head <laughs> of Fanatics. <This laughs> he will experience old... absolutely no no uh, repercussions from this at all in any way. No, he's a he's a schmoozer. He attended one semester at Villanova, then borrowed seventeen thousand dollars from a friend to, you know, make the business move that set how? him. 
off on his career as this <laughs> as this wonderful businessman whose whose strategy is you know and has been if anyone has bought anything from fanatics you know as well mm-hmm. as anyone else that it will not arrive in a timely fashion it will has a pretty good chance of being wrong in some capacity there was somebody who was posting pictures of i ordered this syracuse hat syracuse university hat and the brim said Cavaliers, which is not Syracuse. That's Virginia. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, I saw a Philly, a, um, a an Eagles throwback jersey that had, I think it was the, it was Jalen Hurts maybe, or it was A.J. Brown, one of the two. I think it's 1-11. So, but there was a 1, and the uh, the lettering was, it was all up in the right-hand corner of the back of the jersey. The lettering was <laughs> over the, partially over the sleeve and like the the uh, left shoulder and the the one was all the way up onto the side like right under your your shoulder blade <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where that goes is it not that's exactly where that goes <laughs> yeah so the fanatics model is generally make stuff cheap and fast deliver it slow charge a lot like that's that's the fanatics ethos essentially and if the critiques get too heavy like when um, writer Drew McGarry wrote an anti-Fanatics column um, some time ago, he recently then wrote about Fanatics again, saying, when I wrote that, like a day later, a strange man arrived at my house, asked if I was Drew McGarry, and then gave me a gift from Michael Rubin. It was like four crisp new Minnesota Vikings jerseys, because he was a Vikings fan. Uh, and it, it was like, just, you know, as a as an attempt to schmooze him, because that's how this guy has achieved all of his success. Rubin. Hey, Listen, if he wants to listen to this and send us some stuff, we're willing to it. be convinced. <laughs> I don't. We're willing no, to not. be convinced <laughs> and accept your stuff uh, under no. We're under no obligation to ever say it, but you're willing. You're welcome to send us things. Hey, I'll say this. Uh, I'm just off the top of my head. I have switched to exclusively like third party artists, and mm-hmm. if you want to buy Philly stuff. I've bought things from Veterans Shirtium that I've really enjoyed. I've bought things from uh, South Fellini I've really liked. There's an artist named Emilio Brunovsky who I've bought prints from. Uh, he made these awesome prints based on um, playoff games the Phillies have won, like showcasing different moments from them. Uh, that Those are terrific. There are lots of other, other, other artists. There's lots of other apparel options. They're all going to like cost you money, but if you're spending money on apparel – you don't have to spend it on fanatics no. and get stupid cheap stuff that the people make and it didn't even care about. So that's and that's that you see that now, which is really funny because now it's like the players themselves are like these pants and jerseys are different colors, are noticeably different colors, <laughs> and they're not supposed to be. These pants do not fit. These sleeve one sleeve is longer than the other. These are all issues players have mentioned with the again. Nike-designed, Fanatics-manufactured jerseys that they have to wear this year. The names are much smaller on the back. They are bending around the numbers a lot more dramatically. It's all a lot of very strange, different choices. And as Fanatics makes its way into every major sports league, all you can ask is, why? What have they done to earn this? I'd have no idea. I have no idea what, like, other than, I guess, again, the numbers, like the people making these decisions are like, well, money-wise, this works for us. Because it's, I'm telling you, it product-wise, it doesn't. It can't. And we have finally reached that breaking point where it's like, yeah, we can't pretend to be proud of this. Well, at least the players have. Yeah. Rob Manford hasn't. Rob Manfred told reporters, the jerseys are different. They're designed to be performance wear. They have been tested more extensively than any jersey in any sport. How can you possibly know that? After people wear them a little bit, they're going to be really popular. 
He said this. That's Rob Manfred is point. telling you what's going to be cool. And is who the... are you going to trust more so than a than an old man who's a lawyer? It's <laughs> not the point of these jerseys that they're wearing. Is that, like the other jerseys were fine. The jerseys, everyone was happy with what they were. No one complained about them last year, the year before. There's a long history of non-complaint. Right. Remember how players would like break for first out of the batter's box and then fall straight down because the they tripped over their allowing, pants. They just weren't <laughs> allowing for movement. Yep. And now they allow for movement. So players can run around the bases. Finally, it's a big part of baseball. You think they would have addressed that sooner. Oh, gosh. I have another quote from an Orioles veteran pitcher. Um, <laughs> the fit. Well, fin- I'm looking at a, an, a Baltimore banner article that I had up and I was just sort of scrolling down and a couple of things just caught my eye i mean correct me if i'm wrong but the orioles only have one veteran pitcher. <laughs> i'm pretty sure so maybe uh the fit and finish of them is just not as good as what they were last year the uh the veteran pitcher said i think one of the things that comes down to the jerseys is they're a different color this year they're like a brighter orange you could even see it in the hats you could see how much brighter this one is and so you look like a pumpkin when you're out there <laughs> Man, I, I I hope they only get more open with their critiques because this has been this has been hilarious and, and really just a complete fail for uh, for fanatics. The pants are apparently very thin material. I, I don't enjoy the pants really; they get the job done. But I'm more concerned for the position player players because they're it's a really thin material. So only so the only thing these things may may have overlapped last year's stuff is they're slightly more breathable and honestly i'm going to trade that in all day every day for the jersey and pants we had last year i'm not a fan <laughs> of them and i think that's pretty much the consensus the consensus too <laughs> all right <laughs> well there you have it the players hate the clothes that's the first major headline out of spring training this year and boy, they've got to be pretty bad if players are willing enough to be to be this vocal about it. So we've got that fun little issue to climb over first. I wonder. I'm curious to see how baseball responds. Probably they will not, and this will not change, and they'll just follow Manfred's dic, dic, uh, dictatorship or uh, whatever order that you know wear them, and they're going to be popular. Like just get used to just get used to this crappy thing we made you wear, and eventually it just won't be an issue anymore. And, you know, he's probably right. But for now, that is the uh, main story coming out of spring training. Let's move on to actual Phillies talk as pitchers and catchers reported this week. But instead of a lavish Florida party where everybody's dressed in red and talking about Brandon Marsh's knee, the Phillies have opted for a smaller, more intimate affair with only 65 guests. Scott Lauber of the Inquirer writes that that is on purpose, saying that the Phillies have a smaller camp roster than they have had in previous springs, and that is by design. It's possible that they add another outfielder or bullpen arm over the course of spring training, so they're trying to create space for that move. If they don't add anyone and need players, they can pull from their minor league minicamp. It's a weird year, Rob Thompson said. It seems weirder than most years. There's a lot of flux. There's a lot of stuff going on. People being signed and people being DFA'd and whatnot. So what our thought process was, was that there was so many guys out there that if we go in with a 65-man spring training roster, we might end up at 75 by the time we hit games. So the idea is to grow through spring training. Um... Okay. This is it is different that they that this is a, a smaller group uh, heading to spring training, but it's also I think a, a reflection of how the Phillies have kind of approached the off season, which was you know barely at all. <laughs> but again, 
we spent all winter talking about, like, these are the kind of moves the Phillies are, are making, and they are steadfast, it seems, in their approach to not make a ton of noise and re-enter the 2024 season with a lot of the same core members of their team that they played through 2023 with, but adding more from the fringes and adding more from, uh, from, from you know, various signing opportunities. Just this week, they brought in David Buchanan, former Phillies pitcher Whoa. on a minor league deal. They brought in uh, Ricardo Pinto, a former Phillies reliever, on another small Whoa. deal. So this is this this is where the this these are the pools the Phillies are playing in. And you know, I think we're all pretty used to that by now. But I think people are still a little uneasy that there hasn't been the big signing this year, except that there has been, and it was Aaron Nola. But no one's going to remember that. <laughs> so I mean. Going into camp with like a couple of a uh, couple other storylines that we're going to get to here, but just starting with the idea that this is a smaller camp that's meant to get bigger as they look at players. I mean, it sounds like common sense to me. I get people's impatience. I have, you know, I, I would love to see them make a, a big surprise move as well, but I kind of just maintain that it's not necessary. And you know, seeing that kind of still be the case as as training camp opens, Liz, are you any more unnerved than you were yesterday? Um. Isn't the doesn't isn't the opposite usually what happens? They go into spring training with a whole bunch of players and then they kind of winnow them down. That seems to be the case. Yeah, in nineteen ninety five, I just read uh, that was of, of course a year they were they were bringing in like replacement players due to mm-hmm. the uh, due to the strike. But they entered camp with ninety two players Jeez. that year. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's too many. I'm going to say that that's too many. But that's uh that is quite interesting that they're trying to grow through spring training i'll be interested to see how it works out i mean the phillies don't do anything just you know randomly everything they do is well thought considered um so i if this is how they think it's it's gonna work then i owe them at least to see how it's going to go um i am i'll I'll give them some credit and i'll say i am the same level (laughs) as i was yesterday (laughs) Well, I think it's just another indicator that this organization is changing. This organization has changed. And and you can see that even as Zach Wheeler talks about the Phillies. He is, of course, being asked about the potential of an extension to his contract. He's the next big deal up. And I I don't think there's I, I haven't even seen like an undercurrent of. No, we don't want this among fans that you typically see. People, I think, are generally on the side of, yeah, you got to resign Zach Wheeler. Yeah, we need him. At, at 33, uh, Matt Gelb informs us he is the oldest player on the roster. and he, <laughs> That's nuts. <laughs> which is crazy. I was like, oh, yeah, wow. That's hmm. You keep thinking, like, boy, these guys are all in their 30s when they sign, blah, blah, blah. But it no, but they're all, like, literally just 30. <laughs> Like, yeah. just turned 30. Like, this is, we've got, like, five years before everyone's like, uh-oh. And Wheeler, as, as he's been asked about, like, what is the potential for a deal? Like, where do you stand with the Phillies? He's He sounds very positive. Dave Dombrowski has been pretty, you know, stay the course, tight-lipped about it. But Zach Wheeler was, he sounds very positive about it. You know, nothing official, obviously. He didn't he didn't say anything anything real real tangible but he 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 talked about how much he loves it in philadelphia and he loves it with the phillies and um how happy is he talked about happiness a a lot which is kind of what i i found interesting is is he really seems to be prioritizing that he's not just out there trying to chase the most money which we have been told time and time again that that is that is the determining factor and i'm sure that remains the case but in wheeler's case 
he took less money to be here in Philadelphia. And speaking of change, as I said, he even told reporters this organization has changed in a, in a good way since I first signed here. Um, he said, sure, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, since the new front office took over, they've done a lot of stuff. This is from Matt Gelb's write-up in the Inquirer, and he's talking about um, the Dave Dombrowski front office as opposed to the front office that originally signed him, uh, Matt Klintak's front office. He said they've changed a lot of stuff, how they go about things in the weight room and the training room. The staff has been incredible. Anything we want, we get because of John Middleton. He's not afraid to spend money. So he's, his view of the organization has improved even since he made the choice to sign with the Phillies as Gelbrights. So that, I feel like, is, a, is another big indication of where this team is at. And I guess to me, how good players, both on the Phillies and who could someday potentially be on the Phillies, how they view this organization as a whole, as they view it as a place to be, not just as a ball player, but as like a human being, but also as a ball player who has goals. Uh, the way they view the organization is more important than who, what big name they're targeting and bringing, bringing in and making headlines about. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense, it makes. I would rather the Phillies be a great destination for whom good players. They have their choice of good players who want to come there, rather than just going out there and being like, hey, "We'll give you all this money." If you come here and, and they're like, yeah, OK, I'll come there. I think it is it is in at least you can say it's in the team's best interest to be a location people want to come to. And the way Wheeler's talking is they've only gotten better at being that kind of location, which really I mean, <laughs> that's well, I still go back to other if you listen to this podcast from you know years ago, years, five ago, years ago, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, I used to dream of times like these. Like I used oh. to think we used to think about what this is we doubted they'd get here we used to look at the phillies and be like is do they understand what it takes to be an organization that people want to go to do they know what it takes to be that and it turns out that it just it, it took john middleton understanding and recognizing he'd made an error in judgment and he had to turn it around and that that right there the, that recognition is why the phillies are where they are you know, like the fact that it actually it's happened and we lived through it and are on the other side of it. I know how rare that is. We should we all know how rare it is for that to actually happen. Yes. So you don't you know, say this just to sound sappy or twee. No, or because we, we like being positive about the Phillies is the only thing we ever are. That is definitely not true. No. I think you're you're absolutely right, because it's not always the case that you build an organization or a culture that people want to play it. Go ahead and go, go read about the White Sox clubhouse culture from last year to see the other side of that, to see how bad and rotten things can the really A's, get. The A's, there are human beings, people Ugh. who are fans, willingly fans of the A's. And I, I love them and feel for them. And I, I just want to be like, come here. Like we, we, I feel like we'd welcome refugees of any team, but that's just not how baseball works. That's not how, well, how fandom. Rob Manfred it does. <laughs> exactly. For him it does. But like, you know, I always tell people, I'm like, we are welcoming. We want you here. The more people who are fans, the better. Let's all have a really great time loving this team. But that's just, you know, you can't just flip a switch. Yes. If you've loved a team forever, it doesn't work that way. Creating an atmosphere where guys want to be goes a long way. 
in attracting and, in Wheeler's case, retaining players. Free agency is obviously a crucial development and tool, and players should always have it, um, the option to get what they deserve on the market. But guys like Nola, guys like Wheeler, as that time has come, they don't sound like they want to be anywhere else. They, you no. know, they, they, yeah, you obviously have to pull your punches and, and not go totally crazy gushing over where you are when you're in the middle of negotiations. But these guys never really gave the indication that like beyond the objective appeal of hitting free agency, they don't really want to have to try the market. They will, and they'll find a situation that works elsewhere if they have to, but they don't seem like they're really in a hurry to move on. And as a guy who detests moving every time I've ever done it, oh, and I God. do it a lot more. I'm I can about totally to do understand. it, Bryn. I, I can't even I can, tell you. I can totally understand uh, the desire to be like, ah, we got to no. move again, even though there are people who can just you know pay to have everyone do it for them. But still, uh, the point remains that the Phillies have made themselves an attractive enough place that a guy like Wheeler can, can go on the record before he has a contract extension and be like, this place has really changed for the better, and I'm happy I'm here. Yeah, like retaining... Retaining players is huge, and this is the type of culture that you hope is going to, when you build it, you hope that it will continue because you want other guys in the future to to do the math like, you know, Nola and Wheeler are doing and see, like, where am I going to get what I have now? Like, do the Dodgers need or like if the Dodgers wanted me, sure. If they were going to pay me all that money they have and have me go there to almost certainly win a World Series, yeah, I'd go. But like they're right. not, they don't. They're not actively campaigning to get me. And like the- I exactly if someone's gonna give you a bunch of money to go play for the literally <laughs> yeah. the best team in the universe, <laughs> then of course you're gonna go. And I wouldn't fault them. But you know, if they're in the position they are now, looking for a long term deal, and like that they, they can't get it anything better than what they have now, like. Aaron Nola looked at the Braves, probably. He thought about the Braves, and he saw what they had, and he's like, you know what? I think I'm fine here, where I have already have all these established relationships. You know, even the lure of a great team with guys like, you know, Ronald Acuna, even that isn't always enough to overcome what you've built, because both Wheeler and Nola have spent a lot of time building their careers with the Phillies. And I think that that matters a lot. Wheeler became the pitcher here for which he is known. Like the the, the ace status that Wheeler has in Philadelphia, he didn't have that in New York. Brody Ooh. Von Wagenen didn't respect Zach Wheeler. No, nope. like he he had to, and, and you know, granted, he was better than he was viewed to be, but also hadn't hit his peak yet. He hit his peak here in, in Philadelphia. So what a signing! Yeah, I'll always be was, grateful. That was so smart. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you got it. That's a feather in Matt Clintex's cap. Didn't have a lot of, wasn't a very feathery cap, but that's one. He got to stick that one, that one in there. Uh, also down in spring training is Brandon Marsh. They seem very confident, the Phillies do. I think anybody who's spoken about this sounds over-the-top confident that Brandon Marsh's knee should be ready for opening day. Uh, Marsh said, we're on track. Everything's been going as it should. Just loose bodies hanging around down there. Just a little cleanup, he said in the uh, inquiry. Hanging around down there. He said it was a really simple surgery. It's been a great recovery process and pretty easy. So he doesn't seem that upset. 
I don't know if you've ever seen Brandon Marsh upset. I don't know if Brandon Marsh is capable of being upset. Uh, but in any case, his knee and that issue that kind of sprung out of nowhere, to us anyway, uh, last in the, in the last couple weeks, really doesn't seem to be bothering anyone too much. Of course, the question becomes, when healthy, can Brandon Marsh hit lefties? We don't and won't know the answer to that until the time comes. But for now, how do you view the outfield, the Phillies outfield situation? There is probably an addition coming, not a really big one. Johan Rojas, we know they love, but he has to prove he can hit. Brandon Marsh is great, but he's healing and is often has been, for the most part, swapped out for lefties. Christian Pache is around, presumably. Um, Marsh and Rojas are apparently best friends, based on some of the reports I've seen. Really? Oh, they, my like, God. Saw of each other. Of course they are. Ro- Rojas went like Brandon Marsh in like a very deep voice, and like everyone else was confused, but the two of them were like laughing. Oh God! It's beginning already, <laughs> and so this is this is this is why we come because these guys, like, it October wasn't all that long ago, but it 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 was, and I remember the thing I was saddest about is that that team wouldn't continue to play with each other every day and get to do what they love to do with people they like. And we wouldn't get all of the extras from that. <laughs> all of the, the oversplash of, of crazy and weird dudes being friends and playing baseball. And it hasn't been that long, but it, it doesn't, it feels good to get it all back. It's starting and already, that, and it's great. That story about them greeting them uh, was from Matt Gelb's write-up about them as like an outfield odd couple that uh, is just a, you know, again, this is like when someone characterizes them as the Phillies are the team that like I would, they would just miss. They don't want to be the one at bat because they will miss their teammates who are in the dugout. Like that's, it's very much, it's very much what it feels like this team has. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, we said this word a lot last year. I've got sick of the word vibes about as much as I'm sick of the, the dancing on my own song. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people, it's not because we don't like it anymore. It's just like, okay, we've done this. They didn't get all the way there in both cases. I'm a little tired of hearing about how, the, like, the vibes are good. I'm not tired of the vibes being good. I'm just tired of, like, hearing about, that's great. I want them to stay that way. But, like, let's let's capitalize. Like, like let's let's get all the way there this year. But end of the day, this is still a crucial component for any team that's trying to get all the way there to a World Series title. Is that, you know, the players... Yeah, you, you'll want to ha- ideally have a culture like the one that is described to us by all the Phillies writers who are down in Clearwater currently. Like this is this is what you want to hear coming out of spring training that the team that has gone to two back to back NLCS is feel sounds like exactly the same team. Like the, the attitude wise and personnel wise, that is I feel like ideal. And I don't think anybody they acquire is going to be a huge factor. Um, in this outfield situation, but it is it is something they're going to have to figure out. I don't know. There's a, when they acquired Marsh, it was said they view him as the center fielder of the future, but things have evolved slightly, and we'll see where that goes. But right now, it seems like this is a, a solid collection of guys who, who have, all of whom, even Pache, have had pockets of big contributions they've made over the over the past two years. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I have not read that outfield odd couple article, but I sort of feel like you put Brandon Marsh in a room with anybody, yeah. like literally anybody, and he's going to be like, he, he will find something. He just seems like that guy. I'm watching a lot of um, sort of like modern dating shows right now. I'm currently watching F-Boy Island, 
And one of the aspects that I'm enjoying about shows like that is the bromances that develop among the dudes that have to spend all this time together while the women choose amongst them. And, <laughs> like, it's, like, I remember watching shows like that, like, years and years ago and it not being that way. And I, I just love watching the the bromance. And I sort of feel a lot of that coming off of the Phillies. Like, it's interesting to watch it at a on a non-sports level and just be like, no, this is just how dudes are friends and get along. And I'm not, I'm not a dude. And women tend to relate to each other much differently. <laughs> Phillies are very much a dudes rock organization. Yes, they that's are. Just, that's just how it is. And that's, again, to their benefit. Uh, so who's overseeing this situation? Well, still Rob Thompson. Man, Thompson's down there uh, as well at spring training. He gave an interview with baseball writer Travis Sawchick that you can find on, uh, I believe it's The Score. And Sawchick asked some pretty basic, uninteresting questions like, how, how did being raised in Canada affect your managing career? And what did you learn from Joe Torre? But you did get some details on how exactly Thompson manages his players like a player's manager. And, you know, we're, we're aware of... We're all very aware of the change this team seemed to undergo the second Rob Thompson became manager. We are aware of how much they've enjoyed playing under Rob Thompson. We are aware that, you know, he is not a perfect manager, but the way he manages his team has really synced up with who this team is. And uh, when I say details, I mean he, he tells you things in this interview like how his five pillars are respect the game, prepare, compete, be selfless, and have fun. Uh, he also mentions that he leans on his coaches a lot to get insight into how his players are thinking and responding to things, especially Kevin Long, the hitting coach, who he says is with the players all the time. Uh, he says the crux of his management style seems to come down to the idea that you have to, uh, quote, understand there are things you cannot control and therefore don't need to worry about. I would say that this is a philosophy... Many fans could stand to adopt. Oh, God. In their own lives. I mean, yes. I mean, there there are things in there that I could adopt. <laughs> things in there that we could all probably benefit from uh, in our lives. You know? In, the, in that life is just a constant striving towards goals like that. And also that in baseball, truly... There is no one sense of 100% control. This is something that I feel like I feel like that it stems even from from something like the Astros cheating scandal years ago where it was like these are these are people uh, on the upper level, executive level or, or, or front office level of Major League Baseball organizations who have not played the game, not that that is a necessity for having that job, but are are more have more obviously have not played the game who are more interested in taking it apart as a science or as a, a as an analytic experiment and putting it back together in a way that they get credited for some new innovation and look what it resulted in again a cheating scandal but when your whole thing your whole understanding of the game is that look there's just just going to be stuff that happens in this sport that you cannot control i i think accepting that is going to be a huge mental release. And with the mental aspect of this game being so heavy, again, I feel like that is to the benefit of anyone playing under a manager who thinks like that. Like, understand, there, you, you are, things are going to happen, and no matter how, many, how much time you spend in batting practice, no matter how much film you watch, no matter how many reps you do in the gym, you're just not going to be able to control 
some of this stuff. You, you just, you're just not, you know, there's going to be emotions at play. There's going to be a gust of wind. There's going to be an unraked patch of dirt. There's going to be a bird that flies in home in front of home plate. You're just not going to be able to control any of that. And I think that is just something that is uh, very crucial for a successful team to, to kind of grasp, you know, I, I think it, it, we didn't know any of this stuff specifically, but I think it makes total sense that Rob Thompson would be preaching things from a standpoint like that. Absolutely. And I think there's a knack to um, learning and understanding the difference between things and what you can control and what you can't control. Cause I think everybody understands that when they figure out if it's something they can't control, they, they would love to let go of it, but un- learning and understanding what those things are, especially in a game like baseball, which is deceptively complex. Uh, that is really difficult. And I think if Rob Thompson has a good grip on that, I think that is a great thing to pass along to his coaches and to the players you know, depending on how they understand and deal with the game. Because they could benefit from, you know, some insight from someone who has spent a long time, you know, thinking about what can I control, what can't I control. Because that a lot of times is one of the barriers towards getting to the point where you can let go of things. Well, what exactly is it can I let go? Yeah. I mean, like, what if I want to hold on to something because I think it's going to be a motivator for me to get better. It's like, yeah, but you're still, okay. Is it motivating you or is it haunting you? Yes. Are you, are you, is it holding you back or pushing you forward? And you know, it it, it can be tough to figure out the difference between those two things. Uh, And you know, I I don't know how much Rob Thompson is like sitting down and talking one-on-one about like mental skills stuff with his, with his players, certainly. But just knowing that these concepts are kind of like alive in the Phillies locker room, I think sounds really healthy. This also, this other quote uh, from the Q&A with Rob Thompson that Travis Sawchick did for the score um, talks about his upbringing and like where this philosophy comes from. He said, I think as a kid playing hockey to playing baseball, because you're a kid, you get rattled sometimes. You lose your confidence. You make a bad play. Or maybe you're overconfident. If I was down, my father would bring me up. If I was way up, he'd bring me down. That's who he was. It was always about staying the same all the time. Whether you're going good or not, you stay the same. Don't let anybody see you beat your chest or hang your head. Now, people have seen these Phillies beat their chests. So, I don't... But I also don't think Rob Thompson would stop them from doing that. But, like, I get what he's saying. Like, the steady... A heartbeat. He 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 talks about uh, how the most successful guys are the ones who can remain even keeled in even the most intense moments. And he name checks Derek Jeter and Bryce Harper as two of the best to ever be able to do that. So how do we, the people who came at baseball exclusively from an emotional standpoint, view an approach like that, Liz? How do we? I think. I mean, you're right that Bryce Harper. You know, he does beat his chest and I think there's an added element of of you know celebrate what you deserve to celebrate you know don't beat yourself up over stuff that you don't deserve to you know that happens to everybody um I think it's a I think it's a good approach to preach I think it's actually what Phillies fans need now that I think about it uh, considering that we get caught up in the highs and lows of the season, invariably, as every fan base does. You know, it's it's different than in football and even basketball because there are 162 of these games. And 
you know, if you live game by game, this is a this is a roller coaster that you may not survive. So I think projecting that type of calmness and making sure that the fans know, like, no, we're we're just moving forward. If we're doing badly, we're going to fix it. If we're doing well, we're going to try and keep doing it. But either way, we're not panicking because we know what we're doing. I think that's the key. It's that we're not worried. We're a, a team that's together. We're a team that is talented and we know it. So we just have to keep grinding and everything will work. And I think that's the that's the mindset that's missing, that was missing from, I think, the past. You know, there's yeah. there is um, very little sense of things are going to be all right. Yeah, and I mean that's always it's tough to believe when you're a fan and you're you know again, a player's job is to stay steady and and try to like maintain that mindset so that even when things aren't going your way, you you're going to still have a good chance to come through. Whereas fans, you know, we have a different job. Yeah. One we don't get paid for. Nope. One we actually pay we actually, to have. <laughs> we uh, actually spend emotional capital on it as well. God. And so it can be tougher for people to, like, understand that. And most people are, you know, they're not going to read that interview. They're going to be like, why haven't the Phillies signed Jordan Montgomery yet? This nah. team is washed. This team is why. What are they smiling about? I saw someone say the Phillies oh tweeted a picture God. of like some players smiling at training. And they were like, oh, smiles at training camp. You know, just a completely nothing, just content, whatever. It's nice. It's spring, whatever. And so it was like, don't know what they're smiling about. What are they, what are they smiling about? Can't be happy. Like, well. Probably because their whole life hasn't been about the fact that they lost in the NLCS last year. You know, I'm sure it's on their minds and has been, but like, that's just, they've made their whole lives about more than just that. Or they're thinking also, I can't wait to get back into playing shape and go back and do better this year. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. I'd spend time with my friends. Like, you know what the players have no control over the roster. Mm. They have no control over that. And somehow neither do the fans. Nope. But you, it's tough to believe, but <laughs> you wouldn't know it <laughs> uh, except our show. Obviously, I think I do think John Middleton listened to our show a lot. I hope um, he does <laughs> a year or two ago and made changes based on what we, we were suggesting. Um, but in any case, yeah, this was uh, this was some good insight into things you probably could have guessed, but uh, might not have known That's about great. Rob Thompson. He also he talks about um, one one last thing. They, they talked to him about um, how he would text. He texts his players the lineup maybe three, even four days in advance. And they asked him like, what do you, what do you see as like the benefits of that? Um, and, and Sawchick was like, I've been in locker rooms where guys have come in, looked at the lineup, seen that they weren't on it and stormed right into the manager's office and had a, you know, argument. And Thompson gives his player, apparently gives the Phillies uh, the lineup days in advance and said that he does that because then a guy knows he's not playing that day in particular because that's you know that means nothing they did is it means I'm, I'm going about this the wrong way because yeah. if they go over as he says in the article whether they go over five or five for five the next day they're having off and they know that ahead of time so they don't think i'm getting pulled from the lineup because i went over five yesterday or why am i getting pulled i went five for five they're getting they're resting because that was that's the scheduled day that they weren't going to play and and they know that and so he says they can just turn their minds off have a good night's sleep and nothing's rolling around in their head which as far as I've heard about like the the lifestyle of a major league baseball player that is a blessing to be able to go to sleep with a clear head knowing 
unless you know, barring some kind of emergency, you you don't have to think about playing tomorrow. I mean, that's what they called um, when a when a starting pitcher makes a start, you know, pitches well and then comes out of the game. They call it the cool of the evening because you know that's as far as you're going to be from making your next start. You can relax. You did your job. You're good. So like that is that is a blessing I feel and and a good strategy to to keeping players even keeled to keeping players relaxed and keeping them in a the right state of mind. It's like a little, it's just a tiny thing that he can do to make give them just a little bit of their nor uh, their normal lives back, sort of right. Being a baseball mm-hmm. player is weird and it's hard and it's not necessarily like being any other type of athlete. Because this is, you know, 162 games a year is a lot. You're play, you're working hard every single day. And, the, you know, I think a lot of us know our schedules in advance. I get mine about, you know, four to six weeks in advance. Most people just go in five days a week. You know, that I think that's something a lot of people take it for granted. And being a baseball player, knowing you always have to show up at a certain place is helpful, but knowing whether or not you have to be mentally ready to play is a different story. Yeah. So that's really yeah. awesome, actually. I think that's great. It's it's a, I bet that is more than a blessing for them. I bet it's a blessing for their families as well. Yeah, that's true. Hey, better mental, be, better mental health helps everybody. Oh my God, and yeah. Little, little things like that can do a lot for, for guys' mental states uh, throughout the season, just so they know a little bit more about what's coming down the road. Uh, so things seem to be starting off well at Philly's training camp, and uh, yeah, we will obviously be talking about further developments as they occur, but things seem to be getting off on the right foot. We will see what happens as far as Zach Wheeler's extension, as far as what this outfield move could potentially be. Uh, but again, you know, it's the beginning of spring training. They have not even started playing exhibition games yet. We will see what we will see. So let's wrap up here by going back to uniforms for a minute. Um, boy, I just feel like we've talked more about clothes this offseason than ever before. And sometimes it's stuff we would have talked about any year, like, hey, the, these new batting practice hats came out and they are fantastic. Uh, but uh, some of it is just uniform news. That is bad. And we <laughs> talked about the, the jersey stuff earlier in this episode. Um, but uh, to, to an, like just to extend, expand on that, UniWatch wrote up about the Phillies uniform specifically yesterday. And if you like UniWatch, I would head over there when you can because Paul Lucas is shutting it down in the near future. It will no longer be covering uh, MLB uniform updates. It is a unique and distinct beat. I'm sure not everyone cares, but if you're a baseball fan, it's something some people um, are very into. So it is definitely worth checking out. And I like this because the headline, the first word of the headline is UGG. (laughs) Paul's great. He's excellent. A, A statement of disgust. UGG. The Phillies' chest script is no longer chain stitched, uh, and that truth. is uh, that. <laughs> as Paul, as as Lucas writes, earlier this week I wrote about how Nike's new MLB jersey template had forced the Cardinals' chain stitched jersey script to be executed on two separate patches this year instead of being embroidered directly onto the jersey. As I mentioned in that piece, this dual patch format is the same approach that's been used for many years by the Phillies, the only other MLB team with a chain-stitched jersey script. I assumed that meant the Phillies would be able to keep their chain stitching 
Turns out I was wrong. With spring training starting yesterday, we got our first look at the Phillies' new gear, and it turns out that the script is no longer embroidered. It's tackle twill. Here's a tweet that the Phillies posted yesterday, and it's a picture of Ranger Suarez. And, you know, he goes into, like, you can zoom in on the insignia. You see that, um, you know, what the, what the difference is, and... You know, it's just, he even says in the piece, like, this is, is this the end of the world? No, but it's just this small thing. And and to me, I'm just like reading all this. I'm like learning what some of these terms are and, and just you know, thinking about this in the context of, of the Fanatics jerseys and how cheap and bad they have been. And you're just like, what it comes down to is the frustration comes from, I didn't even know this was a thing I we had to be frustrated about. And like, you know, in the end you don't, but it's just a dumb cheap little move that like did this have to happen did this really have to happen weren't the uniforms fine before mm-hmm. like were the players really clamoring for for changes to not even like oh we need them to be better for mobility or sweat wicking no like in this case it's it's purely an aesthetic choice and uh, like what why why <laughs> yep yep so like uh one of my longtime friends and uh, a writer over at Fangraphs, Michael Bauman, <laughs> wrote about this in a tweet, and it, it uh, pretty much says everything about everything. I'm mad about the Fanatics MLB jerseys because it's the lowest stakes example of the thing that's sending me over the edge. An everyday thing is getting worse. Everyone knows it and hates it. It's one guy's fault, and we know who it is, but there's nothing we can do to stop it. Yeah. Yep. yep, that's very true. And it's that's just <laughs> it's not the end of the world. It's not, but it's just yet another thing that we experience in everyday life just getting worse when it doesn't have to just for the sake of profits. So, you know, that's the only thing. You know, that's the reason that there's a change at all from what the way things were last year is just because of the way the contracts work and because MLB can make more money this way. Yep. And I will say, Lucas also writes, you know, we have all had a lot of fun bashing Fanatics, but he said, actually, you should be blaming Nike more. And he said, Fanatics is mm-hmm. manufacturing out of the old Majestic factory in Pennsylvania, which I believe they bought in 2017. And um, he said, there's nothing that there's nothing new there. They're, maxu- they're manufacturing uniforms to Nike's design specs. So it's actually Nike who should be getting more of the blame. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't change the fact that Fanatics is obviously involved in this. And has its reputation for a reason. So that, those things are still true. But yeah, as far as like blaming which of them, it, it, Lucas, somebody who runs a blog dedicated to uniforms, is saying Nike is actually more to blame for that. So I felt like that is also worth mentioning here. Though you can always bla- you can always put Fanatics on blast for a- at any time. Yep. <laughs> for anything, a- really, they're all to blame for everything yeah. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there are no winners in any of the any of the uh, the companies we interact with when it comes to sports. MLB, Fanatics, Ticketmaster, <laughs> that Russian space laser, yep. Fanatics, all of it. I'm sure they had a hand in that. <laughs> yep. Well, uniform talk will not be the note we end this episode <laughs> on, as we were just about to shut it down when news came out from John Morosi of MLB Network that Whit Merrifield and the Phillies are in agreement on a one-year, $8 million contract. Uh, again, this is still in its uh, 
fledgling stage. Um, you know, has not been confirmed as far as I've seen, but according to one of John Morosi's sources, this is the deal. That is the outfield bench bat guy that uh, the Phillies have been rumored to be circulating for quite some time. I actually brought Whip Merrifield up earlier in the winter. I don't know if anybody remembers this. I did bring him up uh, as a guy who could potentially fill the needs the Phillies were looking for. He's uh, slightly versatile. His age 35 season in 2023 started off actually pretty hot. Uh, He was an all-star last year. Um, Second half, no, was not an all-star. And, and not just not just because they don't have an all-star game in the second half, but because he slashed 212, 250, oh. 288 from August till the end of the season. Oh, that's uh, very bad. Again, that's you know, really as a, bad. As a guy uh, known for his speed, he is also 35 years old. So the speed is still in there. It is not what it once was, but he is still he is still a player who is going to be able to contribute, I believe, in the capacity that the Phillies have been looking for a second base slash left fielder. Uh, so Liz, is this exciting news? A three-time all-star and at <laughs> one point league leader who, you know, as, as most, as recently as 2021 with the Royals was leading the league in things like doubles and stolen bases. Uh, is this the ideal candidate for the role the Phillies had available? 2021 was three years ago now. Let's not uh-huh. forget that. Time <laughs> continues to march forward. And yet, for some reason, I'm like, 2019 was recently, wasn't it? No, <laughs> that's not true. Um, I mean, I'm not excited. I, I don't think he's... I mean... Not excited, Liz! <clears throat> something something you know has happened. <laughs> I'm excited because I believe this means they're finished. It, they're, I believe this officially means they're done and they're pulling in their shingle. Uh, or at least, I, I guess so, because earlier in the episode, we talked about them using... Uh, spring training to grow their roster instead of shrink it, which is the traditional method. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I wrote with Merrifield at the time, you know, this was months ago now, but I wrote that he was like good, a high contact, good defense, speed, speedy guy who won't hit many homers, but will put the ball in play and can man left or even center field. I don't think you got to crowd that center field situation. Oh God, no. Than it already is. But the, uh, this is not a huge needle move, but it does answer the question who is the guy the Phillies are going to get to fill this role? Exactly. Um, Whit Merrifield appears to be that guy, and you may react to this news accordingly. I think at one point, you know, maybe, um, well, maybe in like 2021, this would have been even more exciting news. Right now, I think it's just uh, a, a, a good move, solid move for yeah. the Phillies to, again, fill this um, extra outfielder uh defense-oriented bench bat. And, and it also expands their bench because their bench was starting to look pretty thin. You know, Jake Cave, Garrett Stubbs. Just sitting there all Mundo, alone. Sosa. Um, and yeah, and he's going to he's gonna join that group. And yeah, I feel like he can, he can provide what the Phillies have been looking for. So this seems like the deal the Phillies were destined to make. Yeah. Uh, it, it is not super thrilling. Hmm. We had no indication that it would be. And I believe everyone will, in fact have a reaction of some sort so nice to close up the episode with a uh with a signing with an actual development and you know it's also not surprising here we are in like day two of pitchers and catchers reporting dave dombrowski's like let's let's let's, let's make a done. deal let's finish up i'm trying to sit on the beach 
All right, I'm trying to get a drink with a little umbrella in it, and everybody's like, "Who are you gonna sign? Where's the signing, Dave?" And he's like, "Fine, fine. Here's your son. Here's Whit Merrifield. All right, leave me alone. <laughs> My kids are coming in for spring break on, co- you know, from college. We gotta get the, uh, we gotta get the spare cottage ready. <laughs> I have stuff to do, guys. Do you have any? Do you get a little thrill when you see the name, um, uh, or, the, or the title, Super Utility Guy, Liz?" No, mostly because I'm like, uh, every time I see that, I'm like, so how are they lying? In which way? What position are they lying about? <laughs> no, all those years we were we were aggrandizing and lionizing Ben Zobrist, I looking for the next Ben Zobrist, that, trying to turn Scott Kingery into Ben Zobrist. Boy, it's pretty funny that Scott Kingery is in camp one last time with the Phillies this year after all of that. And all that thinking that Scott Kingery is going to be Ben Zobris. And now the guy who could have been late stage Scott Kingery has been paid $8 million to come in <laughs> and do the job Scott Kingery was unfortunately never able to do. Through fault. They're not just his yeah. own fault, for the record. Yeah. Um, I feel like we've been dancing around Whitberry Field for a few years. This is not the first time he's been connected to the Phillies, right? I don't think so. Okay. Either. Yeah. Because he, he left Kansas City. Um, at I think after 2021, yeah, no, during 2022, he went to Toronto. And oh, he he's been Toronto around since 2016. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there must have been a point where someone was like, "Whit Merrifield should be on the Phillies." Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he has been linked. But yeah, I will say I. I <laughs> he's his a name gritty, He's a gritty white guy. <laughs> I saw him on the list of free agents, and and you know, just at, threw him into the pile when uh, before we really had a a narrower, more detailed view of who, what exactly type of player the Phillies were looking for. And yeah, this is, uh, this is their guy. guy. It appears to be according to John Morosi of MLB network. So you can look forward to seeing Whit Merrifield in camp and you know, yeah. When you see super utility, understand temper your expectations. This man is 35 years old. He is not, you know, when he's super utility makes it like he will play anywhere and hit 300. That's not what's going to happen. Mm-mm. He is more limited than than the word super, I think, indicates. There's not too many uh, positions left for him. I think left field is the best place for him. Like I said, center field's already crowded, and he didn't play very well in center field when he was given those opportunities elsewhere anyway. So... I uh, I think there are going to be people who don't like this deal. I think there are going to be people who are excited that they've done something. It's it's solid. We shall see. But it's also not surprising to see the Phillies, yeah, go after a guy. You know, this is a Dave Dabrowski type of guy. Yeah, he's in his mid-30s. He's been around <laughs> for a while. You have a general idea of what he's capable of, and, you know, he's been chewed away a bit by time. So, yeah, go in with whatever expectations you want, but we've been waiting for the deal. This is the deal. Liz, any final thoughts on Whit Merrifield? Uh, no. <laughs> you've, covered, <laughs> you've covered it all, Justin, and admirably well. I'm sure once I, I uh, remember what he looks like, other than just uh, sort of a stock photo of a, of a, of a white baseball player with stubble, um, I, I'm sure I'll, I'll have more opinions. <laughs> <laughs> well, the masses' reaction to Morosi's tweet indicate they are excited 
Uh, noted analyst Matt Wiggleman, not excited about ah. this deal. <laughs> so, like I said. I agree with Matt. <laughs> <laughs> differing differing uh, responses are out there. Uh, yeah, so uh, Whit Merrifield seems to be the newer face in Philly's training camp this year as this deal takes shape and it is uh, presumably finalized in the days to come. Uh, but for now, all we have is the report. That is what we're going with. As always, thanks for listening. From WHYY and Billy Penn, I'm Justin Clue. I'm Liz Rocher. And this has been Hit and Season.